don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. Video online, especially short form, is very much still, if not its infancy, then its adolescence. We were joined by John Cornwell, who is the CEO of Newsflare, a company that licenses video to major brands and news publications across the world. Yes, as you can imagine, we covered everything video with John, from the democratization of UGC, to the ethics surrounding hard news and sort of war zones. And we also touched a bit on the EU's new directives, Article 11 and Article 13, what they mean for publishers, and also what they mean for social media platforms. Editorial control has been democratized and instead of it being typically kind of um, middle-aged white males sitting around a table making editorial decisions on what is of interest to their audience um, people are deciding all this and more coming up how has user-generated content altered the way news is broken um, so very very simply I'd say it's enhanced it and enriched it um, News stories are so so frequently with rich video material now, whereas in the past it would be somebody stood with a microphone uh, in front of a scene where something had happened, but with no eyewitness video. Um, so there are some challenges, but I'd say overall it's massively, massively enhanced it. It's definitely changed the conversation, hasn't it? It's, it's uh, even from a, I mean, we'll open it up, but even from a journalism point of view, it's uh, the news breaks on Twitter now, doesn't it? Mm. And, it's, and it oft, often is video. Yeah, it breaks, it breaks on Twitter and I think it also, you know, social media riffs off what's going on on mainstream media. So if you take sort of David Attenborough's um, um, revelations around plastic pollution, um, that was given momentum by a lot of rich media on social media. Uh, and if that had just been text, I question whether it would have gathered momentum that it, that it has since. Do you think that that sort of speed now, like the way social media um, breaks news, and it is obviously so much faster. Do you think that in any way has hindered like the context and the story behind those events? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think um, I think the the pressure on newsrooms in the new digital age, and not just on social, but also also on websites to mm. to, to to break news quickly, um, sometimes goes at the expense of having all the facts and all the context sorted out. Um, that's that's something that I think they're still wrestling with. Um, business models are aligned to driving clicks and views, and people are drawn to what's new. So until we until we address the sort of the funding structures, I think we're still gonna still gonna suffer that. Yeah, I, f- I find it interesting as well talking about this that uh, you know Facebook have kind of for me it seems like they've shot themselves in the foot slightly with their approach to news uh, because obviously news is something that we all have in common it's it's you know it's so mutual um, and they've taken a very different stance on it they've, they've almost tried to kind of shutter it away from the platform what what I wonder what you make of that yeah I think um, I think they sort of uh, initially were what should we say um, tentative in, in engaging the platforms the news platforms to go about their business um, or the news publishers to go about their business on the Facebook platform Um 
And what that's resulted in is is this sort of uh, they've got one foot in be- Facebook have one foot in being the, the platform camp and another foot in being a publisher, and they're, they're sort of now a sort of a really uncomfortable hybrid. Whereas the publishers don't really trust them, um, the changes to the algorithm that seem to be keep coming every sort of three to six months have punished monetization for these publishers, and yet Facebook are still left with a situation where they're not um, curating um, news inverted commas content on their platform such that um, they're not uh, suffering accusations of fake news every every other mm. week. It seems. We mentioned as well the the sort of impact on news reporting. I'm I'm keen to know because I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this. The the sort of ethical side of things. So right, we're talking about UGC, and you know you can have an Instagram video, but you know when we're talking about like war zones and 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 sort of disaster areas, there's a sort of element of risk to that, isn't that with with UGC? I mean, it's the best content, but it's it's sometimes uh, yeah, sometimes what's what's compelling um, isn't really fully cognizant of the uh, the well-being of the person that's filmed it. Um, a good example is uh, there's a lot of kind of daredevil video on the internet and some of it some of it seems wholesome and uh, depending on your taste in video is quite engaging um, until you start to consider that person's not a trained professional, that person's a minor and they're actually somewhere they shouldn't be so they're breaking the law. And if you've got a business model that, that promotes the monetization of video, we have to be very careful that we're not, we're not putting minors in harm's way and, and we're not encouraging people to break the law. Um, so, yeah, there, there are a lot of instances where we receive video that we go, wow, and then we go, actually, hang on, how old is this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, um, are they allowed to be climbing on that crane? And uh, no. Do you have a process in place then for sort of like, I guess for, for all kinds of issues that come up when people send in their videos, um, is it a case of like fact checking as well as um, like checking the ethics? Yeah, it is. Um, so it's checking checking the rights. That's the biggest one for us, um, mainly because a lot of video doesn't necessarily carry sort of significant facts. Um, if it's a video of a cat, Scratching a dog's back, mm. whether the cat's called Tiddles or Puddles, isn't gonna isn't gonna sort of um, send Twitter crazy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but if it is a building being um, blown up in uh, Syria, uh, allegedly a hospital, we need to make sure that's a hospital in Syria, not a school in Lebanon two yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, hard news is is hard um, to get right, and there are specialist agencies that that really focus on that. At Newsflare. We're, we're less focused on um, the really, really intense war zones. We, 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 do, we do get footage from them, we do cover them, mm-hmm. um, but we're much more focused on providing video footage to a range of different publishers um, that's, that's effective at engaging their audiences. Sometimes that's hard news, but a lot of the time it's what you might call an and finally or softer entertaining content. Uh, mm-hmm. content. Are you mm-hmm. finding your... your- there's an increasing demand for that, like more soft, entertaining content. Because I've noticed it myself with n- various news outlets that I follow on social media that they'll be reporting on um, just like internet culture. Mm-hmm. And I find like a part of it, I don't know if there's like less hard news than they used to, or there's a sort of trend of publishers wanting to stay current and keep a younger audience engaged that they have turned to reporting on entertaining content. Have, have you seen there's a, an increase in demand? Yeah, I, I have. I think we, we, all, we all have. Um, I, I, I put it down to social media. I think, 
it's not just the, the capture video that's been democratized. It's, it's also um, editorial control has been democratized. And instead of it being typically kind of um, middle-aged white males sitting around a table making editorial decisions on what is of interest to their audience, mm. um, people are deciding. And people are generally posting content that uh, they relate to, that they want to be associated with, and that, that is important to them. Um, I think, you know, the, the, the rise in heartfelt and human uh, stories uh, that have a almost sort of an international sort of transnational um, resonance is, is obvious. And what we see is that kind of content performs very, very, very well. Mm. What I find fascinating is now that established media, so that, that you know, established publishers, if you take Refinery29, for example, are responding to what, what they've, they've heard from um, the masses as to they're aligning their editorial strategy to, to what what people are doing for themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of creating content. I, I do wonder, though, there's a sceptic in me that says, is it important still to find a balance between giving people what they want to hear, the news that they, they want to see and the content that they do find engaging and the stuff that they, they need to be told? So it comes back to that sort of hard news reporting. Yeah, um, I think there are enough brands out there that, that tell us what, we, they think we need to be told. And, you know, there's the BBC, there's ITN, there's Channel 4, and they've each got the Guardian, they've each got a different slant on what they, they think we need to be told. Mm. Um, I think they are adjusting their editorial policies more towards what's resonating with people and what isn't. They look at their data and their, their, their audience statistics and they, they adjust their, their, um, uh, their editorial strategy accordingly. Um, but I think it's then down to people to kind of make a big enough noise about what they feel is important yeah. and to start movements. And, and and that's what we see on social media with a, a range of different issues with Me Too, Time's Up, plastic pollution. Mm. Um, that There's now almost sort of a bit of a, a template uh, and a model for these things getting resonance. And then they get picked up by the mainstream media Um and, and, and considered. Yeah, I guess it's one thing to note about UGC or user-generated content, that sort of on-the-ground, um, like, DIY kind of reporting, for me, has done a lot for bringing back local news and that's mm -hmm. sort of more like going back to grassroots level and, and letting people, you know, report on what's happening in their own communities. Do Newsflare mostly work with local publishers or do you go, um, what, national? No, we um, we work with national and international primarily. Um uh, we we want to move. We've very much started with local news, mm. um, but for commercial reasons, we we had to sort of pivot our strategy to start with national, and international, and, and and work back to towards local. Yeah. So we got partnerships in place with um, uh, Reuters, um, the Associated Press, and we we license um, our video all around the world. Um, key markets like the UK, Europe, and the US, we we deal with primarily directly. Um, but there's a big world out there, and with partners like AP and Reuters, uh, we can reach newsrooms and pretty much everywhere. I'm, I'm keen to know briefly uh, how we've gotten to this sort of space because mm. uh, when you know when we when we talk about UGC, I mean many of us will remember uh, X person will put up a video on Twitter, and the Sun or the Mail or whoever will say, uh, "Can we use this on our channels?" Yeah, and it'd be yes or no. But now UGC seems to have. Uh, bred a massive industry. I mean, we work with, uh, you know, we've got a content licensing department here. Mm. It's, it's, it's something that I think you'll agree didn't exist a decade ago, I suppose. Or mm. No. 
I mean, we, we, we started news for eight years ago, um, but we weren't really kind of trading properly until about seven and a half years ago. Um, I think the reality is, is that um, the quality of the footage, if we go back that far, um, I think YouTube only started in 2004. Mm. So um, it's it's really, it's only 15 years old this year. Uh, just, just gone, I think. Um, the quality of the footage back then was very pixelated. Uh, there was no image st uh, stabilization, so it was very shaky. Uh, the audio was generally distorted. If anything was above sort of a whisper, um, people wouldn't pay for video like that. And there wasn't an awful lot of it. With the increase in the, the, the volume of it, and I think it's like 1.2 billion video assets were uploaded to the internet by the public in cross 16 and 17, which is 10, which is the same as the previous 10 years. Um, Quality has increased through just there being more of it and there's, there's, there's more cream on the top, mm. but also through technologies like 4K and the resolution getting mm. better, audio treatment getting stronger. Um, and the public awareness, I think the, the final point, that there is value in the media assets that people shoot is, is gradually increasing. Um, people, people said for the first few years and still do occasionally to us when we approach them about their video, wow, I didn't realize that was a thing. Mm. Um, and, and it really is a thing. Uh, if you're there at the right place at the right time, uh, what we call a chancer, then uh, no one else has ever captured that video. So your video is not competing with anybody else. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No one else saw that paddleboarder, um, had drone footage of that paddleboarder swimming alongside that blue whale. Yeah. Uh, Back no, in the day, it would be like, they get a story and then they jump in their reporter's car yeah, and they're yeah, speeding down the highway trying yeah. to find the story. And it's just like down to chance whether they catch it or not. But do you like say that when you guys were founded, most newsrooms won't have even had a video team. But do you, do you find that, say, like part of the demand for news fair is down to the fact that a lot of um, like budgets for newspapers are being cut and they can't necessarily afford to go out? And like, it's a lot of resources, isn't it, to get all that of equipment course, yeah. and, and go out go out on site and and do all that? And do you find that that user-generated content is sort of filling that gap for them? Um, I think it is a lifeline for, for some of the some of the, the, the weaker news publishers. Um, I, candidly, though, I think most of our revenue comes from the, the stronger ones that really have a very well-defined digital strategy and have been working with video mm. pretty much since Are the time. Are you using it like a bit more strategically? Mm, yeah. Greater volumes. Uh, they're using it in different ways. They, they're using raw assets. They're using combinations of our assets in edits. Um, I think video online, especially short form, is very much still, if not its infancy, then its adolescence. It's still still working out what the right format is. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people are kind of now a little bit numb to the 30-second cat clip. Yeah. Well, slightly more. Slightly more numb than they were. It still does well. Yeah. Uh, puppies have made quite a significant um, <laughs> resurgence recently. I'll bet. Um, but I think there is is now kind of a the quality bar for the experience is higher insofar as people want they want a bit of context around the video. They maybe want some commentary. They may want some text on the screen. They may want a number of different assets edited together um, to make a ninety second or a two minute or a three minute experience. Mm. Um, Facebook's recent changes and where they've set the bar for monetization at three minutes, um, I think, you know, is evidence of that. Mm. Um, I think they've set it a little bit too high. I think actually three minutes is quite a long time in a short form environment. Yeah. Um, I think I probably go kind of 80, 90 seconds, but we'll see where they get to. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, actually, that you say that, John, because uh, long form has definitely been a word that's been bandied around for a while with regards to social media. 
I mean, Instagram have tried to do it with IGTV and Facebook with Watch to varying levels of success. But it still seems that the appetite is there for that, that short form, mm. you know, two minute, one minute, 30 seconds, not half an hour episodes. Uh do you think that's going to continue to be the case? Do you think long form is going to? Do you, do you do you expect to be dealing more in long form as you as you go forward? Or yeah, so we we do deal with long form at the moment. Um, the way that we do it is we serve uh, TV production companies that will be putting together a documentary, a sort of a UGC heavy documentary, mm. typically about weather or natural phenomena, um, right the way through to a clip show, which is a bit more kind of you've been framed, but mm, you've mm. been framed as come of age, and it's it's not just people falling flat on their face. It's also, <laughs> you know, scary stuff happening in airplanes. It's a weird instance on the roads, um, proliferation of dash cam footage. Um, so long form, I think, is is here to stay. I, I think what I predict, and it's always dangerous, that we're going to see an emergence of, of more kind of mid-form formats. So something between kind of five and ten minutes that's a bit more episodic. Uh, it's bite-sized. I look at what um, Jeffrey Katzenberg is doing with Quibi um, over in the US, the ex-Disney guy that's, that's um, teamed up with uh, uh, is it Meg from um, Hewlett-Packard. Mm. Yes, they've um, made a new app, haven't they? Yeah, I've just um, saw this. Yeah, and, and, and he's taking a totally different spin on it. He's, he's not really taking a UGC spin, um, but he's seen that the appetite for quality um, in that sort of mid-form uh, format what I think he hasn't seen yet, which I predict will come, is that UGC will feature within that. Mm. Um, but that'll be a more mature evolution of his format. Mm. So while, while on the uh, subject of predictions, I mean, we, we spoke about video and how far it's come in 10 years. You've now got, uh, you know, vertical video, 916, which we've been pushing um, a lot over the past six months. And live as and well. And live as well, and augmented reality. Where do you see these uh, changes fit, fitting in within editorial video? What are your big predictions for all of this? Um, I think there's still a lot of figuring out with um, recorded video to be done. Um, I think the danger with, with lots of new formats and technologies is people get distracted from 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 the, the primary job. Um, I don't think the, the the route to monetize is there for things like VR yet. Mm. I think that's still quite a long way off. Mm. People aren't going to want to sit with a headset on top of their heads when they commute to work um, or on a plane, um, possibly on a plane. But um, that's I think cramped enough. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I think we've got to sit with these. You know, we, video is a concept that's been around before it. You know, before it became digital, before it reached a smartphone. So people have had enough time to figure out how to shoot it, how to consume it, how to make stories out of it. VR and AR um, and live haven't been around for that long at all. I think live is live is really very frightening from a publisher's point of view. You know. Facebook are getting it in the neck again mm. after those tragic events in Christchurch. Mm. This um, happened this morning, actually. They've, 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 since then, they've, they've this morning, as as recording it, they've brought out a one strike rule, uh, which basically says, well, if you you know go against the terms, you know, i.e., shooting, uh, you know, a shooting or, or terrorist attack or whatever, yeah, um, they'll pull alive. live completely from your account. Yeah, so, yeah, quite slow to get to that. I yes, think. very much um, so. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was definitely a long time coming that. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that does raise a, a debate actually, and it, it shows, uh, like you said, you know, problems that you find. You know, how do you manage the scale of video that's going out every day? 
um, you know, what was it a billion hours a day uploaded to YouTube or something around that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. How do you how how do you even go about that? What what is the sort of route forward for platforms? Because uh, everybody's mm -hmm. got ideas about it, but yeah, you know, we're talking so about scale bit. here. The first bit that everybody overlooks because everyone wants to jump to the technology, and we'll get to that, is is cultural. Is that if you haven't got a an editorial team that culturally have a set of values that they're they're aware of one and two that they're fully bought into, then then no technology is going to be able to to address that for you. So that so that I think is the first thing. Um, we as as a aggregator of of video and. Uh, with a engaged base of, of an army of shooters or filmers, if you like, that are shooting stuff, I have to think commercially, not just ethically, about appealing to a very broad church of people. So we really don't want the extremes of content. Mm. Um, it's it's it doesn't it doesn't suit our business model um, to be flimsy on ethics at all. Um, second thing is um, there's an awful lot of data that comes with any digital asset. Um, so we have a, a product, a bespoke product called the Trust Algorithm which essentially looks at the metadata associated with a video and the metadata associated with a fil the filmer and makes a decision as to whether, first of all, that video was filmed by that person. Um, we've got that to a 99.5% degree of accuracy wow. so far. Uh, and that's before we've started turning on AI on some of the edge cases mm, of things mm. that are of the 0.5% that's slipping through. Um, but yeah, intelligent use of data, of available data, is 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 kind of the key to any any successful platform business, and 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 that's that's Newsflare's uh, vision. This also relates to uh, something we've covered with Article Thirteen, doesn't it? Uh, the so-called meme ban, which I know we mm, spoke yeah, about. Yeah, definitely. The, as well. This sort of idea that um, algorithms and systems put in place can judge whether something's uh, ethical or is law-abiding or not. Um, obviously, when we when we first spoke, Article 13 uh, and 11 had just been uh, passed, just, I think. Yeah, 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 I think so, um, yeah. How will that affect Newsflare? Is that something you guys are concerned about? So 11, if I'm right, is the link tax, yeah. isn't it? Yes. And 13 yes. is the meme ban. Yeah. Um, I think the link tax will be good for um, good for our publisher clients. So it's really, that's really focused on, on Google, I think. Um, and hopefully we'll will become a source of revenue. Uh, there'll be more, I guess the idea is they're more equitably rewarded for the content that they create. Mm. Um, so if that happens, then they'll have bigger budgets and that's great for us. Um, 13, the, the meme ban, um, I don't think it ever was a meme ban. I think that was kind of yeah. weaponized language by, name, by, by Silicon Valley. Uh, they came up with that to kind of stir up the masses. Um, memes are allowed underneath um, fair, fair, fair use law, uh, right of parody and snippet. Um, uh, so that was never really going to happen. But I think there is a situation with, if you take um, music on YouTube, um, it's kind of like Spotify by the back door for free. Mm. And if I was a big music label, I'd be quite rightly pretty ticked off that I'm getting what YouTube choose to pay me as a share of ad revenue when actually I judge and I can demonstrate elsewhere that my audio content is uh, worth much more than that. So I, I think that's kind of um, the proactive uh, identification of infringing content and then the onus on a, a rapid response. Mm. Um, I think that's probably necessary. Uh, there are products out there if you want to go and listen to music all evening online and stream it that you can have for free if you're ha happy to have the odd ad. 
and that you, if you have to pay a small, relatively small subscription, Spotify is not expensive. I'm a big Spotify fan. Um, <laughs> uh, I do not work for Spotify. Yeah. Um, um, they have not paid me. Um, uh, yeah, so, so I think um, 13 is an enforcement of copyright and we're all about enforcing copyright and protecting the rights of the individual. So it's more about the spirit of, of respect of copyright that's being strengthened that, that yeah. we like. Yeah. Um, one of the big f fears when, when we started Newsflare was that copyright in terms of personal content was going to soften and weaken and it, everyone was just going to be fair, fair dealt. And uh, that hasn't happened. And as we saw that not happening, that was a massive relief. Is there is there a worry though that even even if some like memes are allowed under Article Thirteen, there's a worry that the technology that will be judging it won't be able to tell the difference between what is legal and what's not. Yeah, but if you find some matching content on a video, um, I'm no AI developer, but I reckon you could probably say how what's the duration of of that content and then put it in a, a filter which says if it's less than five, six, seven seconds, then leave it alone. And if it's greater than, then flag it for, flag it for, you know, takedown. Mm. Um, so, you know, Silicon Valley would say, well, this is just a technical challenge that is just way too complicated to, to, to implement. Of course they'll say that, but mm. they, they deal with way, way, way more tricky stuff in the interest of, you know, monetizing your attention on their platforms. Um, what I think, you know, the, the regulators are saying, and there is a counter argument to it too, regulators are saying is put some of your um, development resource behind, um, one, making it a safer place, but two, in this instance, respecting other people's copyright mm. rather than just saying it's too difficult. Mm. I think the other thing, though, is, is that Europe are having a bit of a pop at the US. You know, we live, we live in quite sort of trade war times. You know, we look at the treatment of Huawei. Um, uh, I know someone that works for Huawei, and there's 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 no way that they're they're a bad actor. Yeah. Um, this is yeah, this is a trade war. It's in the news again this morning, wasn't it? Yeah. It? it Seems like there's a lot of political pawning yeah, going definitely. on the moment as well. Yeah. Which is, Hopefully uh, not at the expense of the user though. Which is exactly what, yeah. Which is one of our this is arguments. What I, get I mean, the, the, yeah, the, quite right. This is yeah, it should be about us, right? Yeah. This, this is interesting as well because as much as it. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley, that some of the, was looking at the list of some of the people who are opposing Article 13, and you've got Tim Berners-Lee mm. and the Wikipedia founder, which, yeah, you can sort of say is Silicon Valley. I mean, they don't work at Facebook and YouTube, but I'm interested to know, with, with what we've discussed about democratisation, the relationship between democratisation and that copyright, because it still seems that uh, there is a sort of capitalist structure in play, yeah, if you know what I mean. It's uh, each other a bit. Yeah, yeah. Every, everything's free, but you've still got to pay for it. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things it's in like that. Like America, think, yeah, <laughs> We're a free country, but <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. It's it's free as long as you're making money. Yeah, um, get very Marxist now on this uh, <laughs> no, podcast. Yeah. Activist, activist episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you know you we we can't live in a sort of a an anarchy, and I think um, some of the early tech pioneers and I feel it a little bit with the with the kind of the Bitcoin revolution, what have you, is that there is a kind of anti establishment feel to it, which is, you know, kind of kind of kind of quite appealing until you get to until you play it forward and realise that 
you know, there are, there is no contract law and there yeah. is no such thing as copyright. And all of a sudden, no, 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 can we have it back again, please? Mm. Um, <laughs> I think there's, it, we're just caught up in a, in a phase of particularly kind of difficult geopolitics when it comes to trade. And copyright is just another line of battle mm. with, within that. Mm. Um, interestingly, when it comes to music, it's not the artists particularly that are being protected. It's it's the uh, it's the warlords of the the record it's companies the majors, that the, the majors yeah, that, yeah, that, exactly. that are fighting a rear guard action against ultimate democratization, which is where um, artists actually sort of monetize directly. Mm. Um, I think that will start to come more and more and more. Um, Do you see any parallels with that in in video? Because obviously, when we talk about music. You've got songwriters, you've got uh, licensing companies, you've got so on and so forth. You've got loads of people between artist and yeah. user. Do you see that with video or is it a lot more sort of director? Yeah, it's, it, 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 because you haven't got a, a, a writer, uh, you, one layer of complexity is, is taken out. Mm. You do have a performer. Uh, well, you have a performer sometimes insofar as somebody's in the video. Mm. Um, uh, but you have a filmer, and I think the, the phrase in copyright is the sweat of my brow, which is that's mm. the person that owns the copyright. Yeah. Um, there was an instance of a, of a of a monkey that took a selfie, and there was a big legal battle as to oh whether the, the copyright <laughs> belonged to the belonged to the monkey. Uh, finally, <laughs> led the, by the monkey. Did he well, win the case? It, no, it's, it's led by an animal rights group, actually. That's oh amazing. wow! Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, but it, in what's our he going to do with it? Well, exactly. Yeah. It, eventually, they found that the copyright belonged to the. Uh, the camera because animals couldn't have right to copyright and that the camera had been purchased and the battery has been charged and the, the memory card that had been put in it was by the guy that owned the camera therefore it was his copyright oh my um, god brilliant. but no but we, we we deal with the person that filmed it and we deal with in cases of branded use so where brands use our video for use in a commercial uh, which is a big fast growing part of our business mm -hmm. we, we, we also deal with the model rights so who's in it and have they signed away for a fee or a share uh, their right uh, the right to their own image I'm glad you brought up brands actually yeah because yeah, we've, we've spoken a lot about news let's uh, cover sort of entertainment and brands and, and branded entertainment because we are living in an era of uh, you know not the not the big budget the big budget adverts are still about but there's a lot of sponsored video lots of sponsored mm. content yeah. a lot of brands doing very well to UGC, yeah yes completely yeah I think I think brands are looking at absolutely every opportunity and avenue to 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 get FaceTime with you know engagement from from audiences and from customers you know everything from kind of Toy Story and Lego the movie um, right right the way down to to, to licensing. Uh, single clips for use on social. Mm. Um, uh, we do we do a range of different stuff with brands um, where they where they typically mix a combination of he heavily produced and own shot content with UGC. And what they tell us is that the UGC gives that authentic, relatable quality to a video that something acted wouldn't. Mm. Um, the other category of content that we compete with is is the traditional stock stock footage houses so yeah shutterstock getty pond five who actually also a partner of ours i'll be careful what i say pond five. <laughs> um uh i think they're also seeing that something that's been professionally shot by a you, you know with 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 really great kit can be a little bit saccharine sometimes yeah. and lacks a little bit of earthiness and reality and um 
on its own, uncomplemented by something self-shot or, or some UGC, um, audiences are veering away from. There's quite a bit of research around this now. Mm. Mm. Do you, sorry, yeah. Do you um, do you find that obviously like a lot of brands are looking to use UGC more in their content because like like you bring up uh, like stock footage sites. You, no one wants to be that brand where you end up using the same clip as another brand and you'll, yeah, you'll exactly, see the ones yeah. that, that pop up everywhere, don't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously people are turning to something that's a little bit more authentic. Um, but we've noticed with a few of the platforms, especially Facebook, is actually uh, deprioritizing UGC, which has been a real mm. pain in the bum for mm. some brands. Mm. Is that something that you've had to overcome? So yeah, I think I think that is happening. Um, I think it's to be seen whether it's uh, uh, something that Facebook moved back from uh, or not, which they have done in the past. Um, the way that we're responding to that is that our model to date has very been very much been a non-exclusive model. Mm. So find a great video asset, and we'll license that video asset to as many different many different players as possible. Um, I think for Facebook. Um, what we're looking at is really a, a sort of a two-pillar or two-stage response to, to this, this change in the rules. Um, the first is to um, put together a non-exclusive offer. Sorry, an exclusive offer. So we're bringing a video now that um, we're going to offer to Facebook publisher with exclusivity on Facebook. Mm. Um, the charging will be different, so it will be a greater fee. And there'll be some kind of um, risk-reward element for, for us insofar as if the revenue share, essentially. So the pricing model at the moment for us is really quite low because we're licensing the video everywhere. Mm. Um, it'll be more uh, it'll be more, and it'll be more r relative to how that video performs, mm. uh, but it'll be on an exclusive basis. We've got very strong rights management built into our platform, so that, that puts us in a strong position to be able to offer that. The second is um, to work with a combination of video assets to make um, original works um, that you know don't don't rely on a single clip. And Facebook tell us that um, if the video has been adapted and manipulated and enhanced with uh, text or a voiceover, then and other footage, then then they'll judge it to be sufficiently original. Mm. Yeah, I um, guess like if it, if it's engaging in that sense and that's that's what they're worried about isn't it? That sort of recycling of the same like what they call cheap content if it's just short and you know a 15 second video yeah, someone shot yeah. on their phone but yeah if, yeah if it's something that they see has a bit more production quality they're more likely to I think to I've forgive. got an identity crisis if I'm really honest. Really? Yeah, you know, cheap content that generates um 200 million views. No, yeah, we've said it's this before. It's nothing what, cheap it's about engaging, that. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you, you don't have this problem with YouTube, do you? YouTube is no. sort of, you know, for better or for worse, happy to have, you know, Give user the kind what of they decide want. what is. If you look at the stats on um, video views, uh, YouTube compared to Facebook, YouTube are a country mile ahead now. Um, all the stats that, that Facebook quote are typically around sort of monthly average users. Um, but what that that statistic hides is what's the level of engagement from those monthly yeah. active users. You know, I can remember there was a time I'll, I'll fess up. I probably looked at Facebook four or five times a day. Uh, I'm lucky if I I'm lucky if I look at it more than once a week now. Um, but I'm still one monthly active user. Mm. Um, so whether when you do look at the stats on engagement, particularly the number of video streams they deliver to mobile. Um, they're about to be overtaken by uh, both Instagram and Snapchat. 
Um, it, it, it's incredible how far that has fallen off. And I think their response is, is that they think there's something wrong with their video offer. Mm. I don't think their video offer on YouTube is any different. Um, I think they've got a, yeah, they, they've got a problem. Mm. So, you know, like the, the fact that uh, we touched on long form earlier, but you're right that what they call cheap content is still the content that people yeah, are interested in. Yeah. Um, so say on Facebook, it's between 60 and 90 seconds. The video performs the best. And on YouTube, it, that goes up to four minutes. Seems to be it's the like platform with the most discerning and... tastes. And I don't know if that's a, a kind of Mark Zuckerberg control thing or if that's, uh, you know, it's all part of some big plan going forward. I'm not too sure. Who, who knows? If you ever <laughs> find the, out, yeah, let me yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that we're, we're talking about Facebook at the moment because it's all relevant to video. I mean, Facebook Watch, I'm sure you're probably aware of, and IGTV, two very different products, you know, long form on Instagram, in shot in vertical, Facebook Watch, Netflix style episodes. Mm. They've not really taken off, have they? I mean, there's been a, a few sort of algorithmic kind of tweaks and changes and throwing organic reach towards both to make them a bit more popular. But what 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 do you think has, have been the failings? A bit too, you know, before it's time maybe? Or? Well, I just don't, don't try and be all things to all men uh, and women. It's kind of, let's let, you know, I think when it, com when it comes to sort of... Um, sort of lean back, um, short, shortish form uh, or longer form video consumption than Netflix and Amazon and, and a whole swathe of other AVOD players like Pluto and, uh, and Sniffer and, and various different things, uh, and Roku, um, are, are way, way, way ahead. Um, and, and they're growing audience really, really fast. Um, people go to a platform because it's got something they like and they like to engage it. If you keep changing it, you, whilst you're trying to increase engagement, you're trying to increase your appeal to wider audience, you also risk alienating that, that loyalty that you've built up. And I, and I think mm. not so much Instagram, but I think certainly Facebook have, have, have done that. Do you think Facebook shot itself in the foot slightly with its sort of treatment of publisher content and that all the, the rules that it's putting in place? Definitely. So the publisher clients that we talk to now, they're kind of like, yeah, thank God, because we we wanted to lean away from Facebook for a long time. We don't trust it. And the latest set of algorithm changes says that we trust it even less now. Yeah. So they're pushing focus and budgets towards their own platforms. Yeah, I guess because on the flip side of that, the worry is that a lot of publishers might not be able to survive without Facebook and Google on their side. Um, I think Google's a separate thing. Um, I think, yeah, discover, discovering... Discovering platforms via Google really, really important. But um, uh, I think other routes will, you know, I was listening to um, uh, the chief content officer of Refinery29 now, and she says she lives in, a, she describes the business as living in a round room with lots of windows and audiences climbing in through every window. That's and, good. And I think you can't get over dependency on one platform. Yeah, because a, a lot of publishers did. And we had quite a few yeah. when Facebook changed its algorithm. A few closed their doors for good. Little things. Defy, yeah. There's there's quite a, there's quite a list, mm. and and I think there will be after this recent change too. Um, we're responding to it quite quickly, um, and Facebook is because we're diversified across news, TV production, and brands. It's a relatively small slither of, of our business. Yeah. Um, but for those that have really focused on Facebook being the thing, I think they're going to really hurt. Mm. I want to. I won't make you be too candid with this, John, as well. But I want to focus on the kind of uh, pricing model, in a way, of uh, video, because uh, 
we've seen with, to shed a bit of context on it, I mean, video strikes me as very similar to influencer marketing in a way where it's come on social and again, it's a democratised uh, sort of format. And uh, I suppose it wasn't until you had, you know, people like ourselves and influencer marketing agencies who've come in, the same with you guys in video, who've sort of put that into place and kind of shaped it up a little bit. So how do you, you know, to the to the layman, how do you judge the sort of worth and value of a video and, and the sort of revenue that it can go on to produce? Mm. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's really interesting. Um, ultimately, um, our clients, so publishers and TV producers and uh, advertising agencies and marketeers judge the, the value of a video, which is basically the what they're judged to be the relevance to their audiences. Um, our job is to curate to them um, video that's reliable and trusted. Um, and, the, and the value that we really add in the middle between the democratized masses and their video and the, the professional uh, purchasing licensees um, is, is, is those two things. It's, it's a curation of a feed of video that uh, we're judging and we're constantly making it better is relevant to, uh, to them and their audiences. And that differs by publisher. I think when we were quite young, we had a concept of that's a banger, that's a great video. Mm. Where we've got to now is that's a great video for those kinds of publishers mm. or those kinds of publishers. Yeah. Um, we each have personal preferences in the video that we see. I, I've got tons of stories of, of seeing a video. One of my team showed me a video of a dog kind of looking up and smiling in a weird way and it's like six <laughs> seconds long and, and I'm like yeah okay and the, and, the, and the guy in my team Rich would say yeah, yeah you know this this I think it's going to do really well there's another one I remember of a waterfall blowing backwards which I'd, I'd been there it's in the Peak District and I said it wasn't very long and it was just of a waterfall blowing backwards because of the wind <laughs> I said that that waterfall blows backwards all year round you know that and, and he's like he said yeah but the internet doesn't know that and he said uh, it's all about the caption yeah and 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 this guy and a couple of others in my team that they're, they're right sort of eight or nine times out of ten and I, and I have to be really careful that I don't go I I think that video is a bit rubbish yeah, uh, yeah. because um, there are lots of tastes out there. Yeah, um, and also it's the it's the um, it's the treatment of the video too. So we had a video of um, cheese rolling down in Copper Hill in Gloucestershire. Oh, you yes. know, it's the one where they roll the cheese down a hill, and everybody basically sort of tumbles down and he breaks their neck. Yeah, we, exactly. we get we get that that same shot looking up the hill every year um, at, at the same sort of time of year, and we put it out in original format, and I think it made one or two. Very, very, very few sales. Yeah. Then the guys zoomed in on various different individual, you know, almost like gladiators. <laughs> yeah. Slowed, slowed it down three or four times and then set it to opera. They set it to Bizet's Carmen. Wow. And, 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 uh, and it turned it into something gladiatorial and epic. Yeah. And because you saw every bump and roll and bruise, um, I think we did something like, 74 million views wow. on our, yeah, on our Facebook it. channel. Yeah, Prime for social, yeah. It's almost like you wouldn't take something from TV and yep. just put it on social as like a complete copy. Like it has to be, it has to be tweaked, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But the key to our business isn't isn't putting that creativity onto it. It's working with creative people like you guys. And, um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't seek to compete with the agencies that are you know, working up these these fantastic creative treatments, our, our, our sort of purpose and mission is to provide you with a steady flow of fantastic raw assets that you can trust and work with to to engage your audiences. Yeah. 
It's definitely been a uh, story of social with all this great video content as well. It's been entertaining to watch, if anything. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. See, definitely. Yeah. Don't think it's going anywhere. Of course not. No, not at all. Um, well, we'll wrap it up there. John, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank really, you. Really, really interesting talk. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really, really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week. This has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself, Theo Watts, Eve Young, and produced by Ollie Thompson. 